Well, today we want to talk with you about uh, from the topic of the best of us and the rest of us um, and uh, responding to grief. And this has been a very, very difficult week for many. And I want to just kind of refresh your memory of what happened just uh, a week ago today. Robin, good morning. And there are a number of families in pain this morning after that crash here in this neighborhood and the hills in this neighborhood behind me that killed nine people. But in particular, the loss of Kobe Bryant is hitting the L.A. community, the NBA community, the sports world, and in fact, people all over the world really, really hard. People are in disbelief that this global and cultural icon could be gone. Shock and heartache around the world at the news. Kobe Bryant, dead at 41 years old, killed Sunday when the helicopter he was in crashed in the hills of Calabasas, California. Also on board, his 13-year-old daughter, Gianna, and seven others on their way to Kobe's Mamba Sports Academy in Newbury Park for Gianna's basketball game. Kobe was expected to coach. This photo was taken at the gym filled with kids who had been awaiting Kobe's arrival. They kneeled on the court upon hearing the news. Kobe's helicopter took off from Orange County just after 9 a.m. for what was expected to be a short trip. But at 9.45 a.m., tragedy. The helicopter crashed into the foggy hills. Visibility two and a half miles with haze, ceiling 1,100 overcast, temperature 12.8. Before the crash, the LAPD grounded all police helicopters, saying weather conditions did not meet the standards for flight. Though it's unclear if weather played any role in the crash. We are learning this morning there was an unusual rapid loss of altitude and increase in airspeed seconds before the crash. The NTSB and the FBI are both at the crash site investigating. Kobe often used helicopters to get around L.A. Here he is in 2016, even regularly taking his own helicopter to home games during the NBA season. He loved being in that helicopter. He certainly was never really concerned about it. For him to be gone, particularly through these means, is incredibly tragic. Just weeks ago, Kobe and Gianna, known as Gigi, were spotted at a Brooklyn Nets game having a father-daughter courtside moment that went viral. I love this. Fans showed love for Kobe at the Staples Center, and tributes continue to pour in for the man his fans lovingly call the Black Mamba. Kobe Bryant has hit a shot at the buzzer! Former teammate Shaquille O'Neal tweeting, There's no words to express the pain I'm going through with this tragedy of losing my niece, Gigi, and my brother. I'm sick right now. And Magic Johnson called Kobe the greatest Laker of all time. During Sunday's games, players paid tribute, many of them holding back tears. The San Antonio Spurs and the Toronto Raptors, among many of the teams who took a 24-second violation at the start of the game to honor Kobe, who famously wore number 24. The NFL Pro Bowl also quickly turned into a tribute. One of the greatest to ever take the court, the proud father of four daughters transcended sports, telling me he wanted a legacy beyond basketball. But that's been what we do. It's not who we are. And we've all been uh, something more outside of our craft. And we look forward to continuing to grow, continue to evolve as people. 
and no doubt weather will be a part of the investigation. And in fact, in a lot of ways, guys, we saw so much of Kobe Bryant. We didn't lose him in the prime of his career, but to many people, it feels like we lost him in the prime of his life. He had so many other ventures. We talk about the Oscars, a best-selling author, and it seemed like he was just getting started in a lot of ways. In so many ways. TJ, thank you. Man, if something like that can happen to the best of us, and not only Kobe, as we heard this, other stories of the other people on board, they were some awesome people in their community. Uh, basketball coaches, bas uh, baseball coach, uh, leaders in their communities, real role models, even the young girls that were killed. His daughter and the other two girls uh, were, all of them were role models. And so when something like this happens to the best of us, then of course it leaves us all wondering, well, what's gonna happen to the rest of us? And one of the things we wanna talk about today is responding to grief. Um, I wanna use this particular passage of scripture in getting us started. It comes from 1 Peter, uh, the third chapter in the 15th verse, and it explains the reason why we're getting into this conversation at all. Um, too many times in moments like this, religious people, uh, sometimes the word we use is church folks, they take it as a moment to start fussing and they start trying to preach. But this is not the time to try to do that because people are hurting. So it's how you do it. In fact, the word of the Lord tells us that this is the way to handle it. You find this, this is Peter talking to the church and he said, but sanctify the Lord in your hearts and he said, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone, and I underline this, who asks you. A lot of times when people jump out and start defending the faith, then nobody asks you for that. The word of the Lord says, to everyone who asks you. <laughs> you wonder why sometimes the, 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 our testimony and the gospel is rejected. It's not because people are just rebellious. But sometimes we start, I call it scratching, where people ain't itching. Right. <laughs> what if somebody were to walk up to you and start scratching your back? Get off me. Right. <laughs> now, if your back was itching and some family member scratched your back, you go, oh, right. yes. <laughs> so that's what happens when we start trying to set up a defense and give our story and tell our testimony, and they haven't asked right. what the Lord says. Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you. And ask you, and he said, a reason for the hope. A reason for the hope that is in you. When they ask, be ready to give a defense for the reason. A reason for the hope that is in you. Hope is, is not just what's used in today's world. I remember back when uh, Jesse Jackson started the Keep Hope Alive statement. That's not what we mean. When the Bible says hope, the biblical definition of hope is it's a desire and it's an expectation that we have because God gave a promise. So that's not earthly hope, is it? Because if God gives a promise, we expect that. So the biblical definition of hope is it's an expectation. I expect this to happen because God said it. So he said, be ready, be ready to give a reason for the hope that, that you have, the hope that is in us. The reason why I have this hope, this expectation in me is because God gave me some promises. 
everything from eternity all the way as while I'm still living in this life. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> so my expectation is there because God made me some promises. But even when we do it, he says, do it with meekness and fear. Or that's, that's with reverence. Here's a, you can go to the, the next one. Here's the Amplified. And I love the Amplified Bible because it goes actually into the Greek language, the original language, and puts it in today's words so that we can hear what it would be. Here's the Amplified Bible version of that same scripture. But in your heart, set Christ apart, isn't it awesome, as holy, acknowledging him, giving him first place in your life. So you just start with that. First of all, Christ is first. So first of all, position myself, God, you're going to be first. Giving him first place in your life as Lord. And then from that perspective of Christ being first, always be ready to give up. And I don't know if you've ever heard this in taught in scripture. Always be ready to give a logical. You ain't supposed to use your mind when it comes to just use faith. You don't need no logic. No, but be ready to give a logical defense to anyone who asks you. What? Logical? Yes. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind. <laughs> we don't throw our brains out. I've got faith. No, we're not going to let brain determine by faith. But God, even in his word, when in, in Isaiah says, come, let us reason together. Bring your strong arguments before me, the Lord says. So he expects us to use our minds. Give a logical defense to anyone who asks you to account for the hope and the confident assurance that we have. It's elicited by faith or it came out of our faith that is within you. And yet, even when you give that defense, that logical reasoning and defense, again, he says, do it with What's that word? Gentleness and respect. Wow. So why, why are you getting into all of this, Pastor Chris? Because I'm about to now take you into uh, some ways and things that we need to understand about grief in order to minister to people who are grieving. It's just that, unfortunately, what we have done because we threw up, we, we wouldn't do things in an orderly, logical way, the way the word of the Lord says. We've just told people who are grieving, just go pray. God's going to hear you. God's going to deliver you. Will God deliver him? Yes, he will. But he wants us to give him more than just go and be healed. And so there's some understanding that we need to have. That's why that's what Pastor Chris is getting at. So I put it in front of you, had my wife to pass out to you something I want to walk through with you. And there's some blank spaces, and I'm going to give you, give you a chance to fill those in. You said, I came and gathered with the church today, and I've been given a handout with blank spaces. I didn't come to class. Yes, you did. <laughs> Why is this important? Because uh, gone are the days of simply coming to hear just to hear. I, I, want, I want an impartation. 
I need to walk away with understanding. This is what was meant when Jesus gave the parable about the, so the different soils. Mm -hmm. The same seed, different soils. Yeah. And so one soil, uh, it was hard and it didn't take any roots. It just, seed just stayed on the top. Another soil, the birds of the air came and plucked it up before it could take any root. Another soil had, was, the seed was choked out by the, by the weeds and thorns and all that stuff and by the cares of his life and the deceitfulness of riches. And in the last soil, Jesus said, this is the person who not only receives the word, but understands. And so we're taking the time to prepare our hearts. That's why we went, that's why we gathered together and we sang those songs on preparing the soil. And now opening up with this scripture, preparing the soil. So now when the seed comes, and even gave you a handout. Preparing the soil. So now when the seed comes in, like it can find good soil, good ground, because now I'll understand this word. So now let's take a look. In fact, we, I want to pray before we get started. We, we used to do this every time we get together. We used to recite this prayer. And if you can see it from where you are, I want you to just say this along with me. Uh, let's begin. Lord, I pray that the word today would find good soil in my heart. I reject the thoughts of offense where the light of your word exposes my sin. I do not take offense. I will change and turn to you, my heavenly Father. I reject condemnation. Your word says that Jesus did not come to condemn people. This word does not come to condemn me, but it comes to heal me. I reject accusation. Satan is the accuser of brothers and sisters, and this word does not come to accuse me or abuse me. This word exposes Satan and his lies, and I choose to believe and receive the truth. God says in his word, blessed are my eyes for they see and my ears for they hear. For many prophets and righteous men desire to see what I see and did not see it and to hear what I hear and did not hear it. Therefore, I will hide your word in my heart that I might not sin against or miss the will of God. Amen. Say, my soil is ready. All right, here comes the seed. <laughs> I'm stand out here again so I can see. First of all, I want you to understand what it's like for people who are angry or they're in crisis. Years ago, a national Gallup poll revealed that most Americans thought grief over major loss should be resolved in three weeks or three months at most. No wonder then that those grieving commonly for years over the loss of a spouse or a child feel so lost in our society. People don't get over a loss in three weeks or three months. Like I said, Kobe, Kobe Bryant's death triggered me. I'm sitting there going all over again when my brother died 20 years ago. <laughs> you don't ever get over it. 
Anybody ever had somebody told you, you need to move on, you need to get over it? That's because we live in a society that really doesn't understand how deeply grief and loss affects us. Go to the next one. When someone goes through, has a loss in their life, there are stages that they go through. I'll let you fill in the blanks, and I'll sing it out loud. The first stage they go through is shock. And that's where everybody was last week, and probably many still are today, a week later. I find myself, myself still just, I just, I'm stunned. I'm, I'm numb. Just can't believe this is. And when you stop and think about how his wife, woo, lose your spouse and a child in the same moment, uh, and then all the other families, where three family members are suddenly wiped out all at once. Then there's denial. A lot of people are there right now. That is, you just cannot believe that this is happening. You see, your mind just cannot grasp that this is happening. You keep wake up each day and you hope that it was a it was a nightmare. Anybody ever been there? Yes. You wake up every day. <laughs> Please tell me this didn't happen. The next one is anger. Many people go there. When they do start feeling again, many times it's anger. You're going to, the anger can range from everywhere from being angry at God to being angry at the person who left. Uh, especially if it's circumstance, if it was an accident or an incident, you get, why did they go there? Why did they do that? I told them not to go. You see, when it's, especially when it's an accident and there's some place that they maybe should not have been, but they went anyway. And so you can find yourself being really angry at the person who, who you lost, who, who, and that, who, uh, yeah. Who died? But the loss isn't only death. You can be. It can be the loss of a dream, loss of a job, uh, um, um, loss of a, a opportunity. You know, loss of a, a loss of a limb, losing your health. Uh, I mean, I've seen a person who had to have an amputation, and they they go through. The loss of a limb is serious. Um, and then there's a stage called bargaining. This always doesn't happen in the case of where there's a sudden death. Usually this happens when somebody is anticipating, like if you know that somebody is going to die, they're in hospice, and people can start bargaining with God. You know, God, I'll do this if you let them live. <laughs> I'll, I'll be more committed. I'll. And bargaining happens with a lot of people. They start trying to bargain with God. Please don't let this happen. Please don't let it happen. I'll do this. I'll commit. I'll give people. Many, a lot of commitments have been made to the Lord while they were facing the possibility of, of a loss. You know, please don't let me lose my job. God, I'll start going to church. If you don't believe me, let my job come to an end. Yes. <laughs> don't let me lose my house. Please, Lord, I'll commit. I'll do it. I'll do it. And then the stage called sadness, or you can even put in depression. And it's a sadness that is unexplainable. It is a sadness that is unexplainable. It is beyond the emotions. And that's what I think many people don't understand. When you reach this level of sadness and, and depression, this, ain't, this isn't just a feeling. It affects your physical body. It affects your mind. Uh, anybody ever been there? You have to raise your hand. I'm like, you, I don't. I can't even get up in the morning. When you say that to people, they think you're just lazy. You're like, no, I'm telling you, I, I, I. It's not that I don't. I I won't get up. I cannot. 
get out of this bed. The fatigue the, the, man, that comes upon you. Man. Some people sleep for long hours when they do sleep. They sleep you know, 10, 12 hours. And people that don't understand that will be fussing at them. That's why I said that sometimes there are people who are attending our churches and have been attending church for years, and this is where they are. And they're fussed at from the pulpit or from church leaders or other church members or family members who don't understand. This is a real thing. Yes. And this has nothing to do with your faith That's right. or your faith level. It's a part of the grieving process. Now you can get stuck there and that's what we can talk about, your faith and being in the word. But you're gonna go through this. Anybody, any witnesses in the room? Yes. But what's been difficult for many of us is that Folks not understanding the process of grief have challenged us and told us that we not believe in God and we don't have no faith. That's not it. This is part of the process. Just like in the physical, if you get wounded in the natural, a cut, it takes time to heal. So if you catch me while I'm still bleeding, that's got nothing to do with it. You shouldn't be still bleeding while I just got cut. Right. <laughs> But that's what we've been doing to one another. You're still bleeding and we're saying you don't have any faith. No, I'm just still in my process. And then the final one is acceptance. And acceptance isn't doesn't mean that you're good with that. Am I, am I, am I talking today? Acceptance doesn't mean I'm, I'm, I'm cool with you, God, about this. It just means I've, I've come to accept the fact that this has really happened. I cannot change it. It will not change. In other words, I'm no longer in denial about it. I'm not in shock of denial about it. It's just it's sometimes the phrase that's used today, it is what it is. Anybody ever said that? Yeah. <laughs> it is what it is. All right, now there are two kinds of grief. I'll fill in, I can fill in the blank on those. One is called acute grief and the other is anticipatory. Acute is what everybody's going through now with the loss of, of Kobe Bryant and his daughter and the other seven people. That's that sudden, unexpected loss. You had no chance to get prepared for it. You weren't even thinking about it. It wasn't nowhere near your mind. And it is deeply, deeply wounding. Acute grief is unexplainable. In the case of what I have with my brother, it was anticipatory. It was kind of a mixture of the two. Uh, he was in the hospital. My brother passed away 20 years ago. He complications due to HIV and AIDS, uh, the liver problem, all that stuff that he developed. And so he was in and out of the hospital, in and out, in and out, and we thought he was getting better in the last time he was in the hospital. But we saw him deteriorating at the same time. So that's why I say it's kind of a combination. You kind of see it happening, but it happened sooner than we expected. Now, there have been some people, they're in hospice, the family, everybody's trying to get ready for it. That's anticipatory grief. You're already starting to feel it before it even happens. It's there. So those are the two types of kinds of grief that there are. Now, the recovery time kind of depends upon the level of the relationship. Normal to recovery time for uh, grief is anywhere from 12 to 18 months, and that don't mean that you're good with it, it just means finally you can start moving out of the sadness and into the acceptance, and that usually takes a year, year and a half sometimes, too. It took, uh, 
I remember uh, my older, one of my older brothers, uh, he's actually the senior pastor, our bishop and overseer. And so the brother that died was in between me and him. And my older brother, uh, it, uh, about after about two years, he said he walked into his office at the church and realized he hadn't changed or done nothing to his office for two years. <laughs> hadn't moved a book, hadn't changed nothing, just everything was still the same. He didn't even realize it. And so that's what I mean. You finally come to that moment was you kind of get back into life again. And it usually takes 12, 18 months, sometimes two years before that happens. Now, the only time it becomes abnormal, and there can be an abnormal recovery time, is if you see these things happening. And I didn't even have you to write those down. Those are already listed. But, but uh, in the recovery, there's called psychotic, people are psychotic immediately following a loss. And what we mean by that, the word that means, what it means to be psychotic, it means to be a temporary uh, to have a temporary de loss detachment of from reality. That's part of that shock and denial. Normal process. The brain does that actually to protect us. Because some things like what this family, these families are going through, you've got to detach in some kind of way for your brain to start trying to process this. Many of you have been probably been watching some of the things on the news and all types of news conferences and people sitting around talking, probably at work, at school, people talking, but that's people's way of trying to process. So let that happen. Now here's the reason why I said uh, religious folks get into trouble. They, while people are still processing, they start scratching. <laughs> wow, and I've gone online and kind of looked at the comments that people have posted and while people are still just processing, the way many people process, they start thinking about the memories, you know, the memories and posting pictures like you see, post, posting pictures of Kobe and his daughter and of his wife and all the other kids. And the other families are doing the same thing. They're posting pictures of special happy moments that they're trying to remember. Now in the midst of all that, religious folks are jumping in there Question is rather, are they going to hell or not? I was like, this, I know what you're trying to say, but this ain't, this ain't the time. Let them process. Like I said, best thing that I've been able to say to folks that, uh, that were processing that I came along with was, was that you just need to be, you just need to be ready. I didn't make a comment about whether Kobe went to hell or the kid people went to hell. I said, you just need to be ready when your moment comes. That's what we, that's the only thing we need to be saying. Are, are you ready when your moment comes? Not one, not, not trying to determine if whether they went to hell or not. Just ask one question, are you ready? I just want to be ready. Are you ready? See what I mean? Sometimes people completely disown the pain. Not only do they disconnect in the moment, but they have disconnected even at the emotional level, and they'll go that way for a long time. I believe that we see this a lot in our, in our communities, especially African-American communities. People are wondering uh, why they see such explosions of violence and things that happen the riots and everything that happened a couple of years ago, you know, after Michael Brown and Eric Garner and all that. Why all this rioting and Black Lives Matter and all of that? There have been, when you can go so long to 
being disconnected from the pain that finally people just explode. You can have, we can disown it. The next one that sometimes people do is, is where it is enshrinement, and that is they'll stay in that place years later where they're still holding on in an unhealthy way. When my brother passed away, his daughter, my niece, uh, about a year later, they still had his voice on the telephone answering machine. Remember those? They don't have those anymore now. <laughs> on, the, on the phone answering machine. So people would call the house and they would hear his voice. And that was unnerving, unsettling. So my sister-in-law had to tell my niece, we've got to change. We got to take his voice. But I want to hear his voice. I want to hear his voice. She was stuck in enshrinement. You know, keeping this thing here to remember my dad. It's like, honey, we got to got to let it go. And many people are there. They can, they're stuck. It's almost like building a shrine. That's why that word is used there. The next one is persistent physical symptoms. How many of you felt physical pain when you had a loss in your life, loss of a loved one? I had a pastor friend in Jersey. He almost died himself when his mother died. He developed what they call broke, I didn't know it existed, broken heart syndrome. And when they took x-rays of his heart, there was a literal line, a crack running through his heart. His heart was literally breaking. So when people tell you that they're having physical pain behind a loss, don't blow that off. That's, that's for real. But if it persists and you know something abnormal is happening, they're not going completely through the grieving process. They're stuck. Then another one is angry withdrawal. In other words, there's going to be anger. Remember, that's going to be the stages, but when someone just stays there, and that anger withdrawal, and they withdraw from life, and it's almost like the slightest little thing sets them off. I hope this is helping you if you've got family members and friends that you've seen them like that. I guarantee if you trace it back, why is it that the slightest little thing, they're always blowing up? Just think. Think right now. What family tragedies or loss has there been over the last five years, 10 years? And you'll go, oh my God. They haven't gotten past that. They're still in anger stage. Did they lose a job? Did they go through a divorce? Just, just think about it. And you go, oh. Now you see why we say this. When people come to the house of God and they're stuck here then the answer is not fussing at them to get them through it. We're going to talk about the answer in a moment. Sometimes people can obsess over the loss. Years and years later, last one, there can be a lingering depression. That sadness stage can stay for a long, long time for many people. Thank you, Lord. Now you can move to the next one. Some of the causes of depression. If you've ever had family members that are stuck in depression, here are some of the major causes of depression. You see A, B, and C on your page. A, that says you have an L in there, and there's loss issues. The losses that we talk about, the death of a loved one, friendship losses, loss of a job or a lifestyle transition, loss of self-esteem. When people have these major losses in their life, they can take them right into those stages of grief and they can get stuck on in, the, in the depression stage. Another one is stress issues. Stress is basically caused by two things, having too many things to do each day 
<laughs> all the pressure that you're having at home or work, relationships and all kinds of things that bring on. And it can definitely lead to and has led to uh, keeping people in lingering depression, stress issues. The, the last one is uh, body chemistry and physical causes. And you can see the notes on there. Research, research has indicated that some depressions can be a result of a chemical imbalance in the brain. And I want you to think, really hear me today, because especially again amongst uh, uh, we as African American people, um, we haven't handled well through the years um, issues with the brain. When we, we hear the word mental illness and we think somebody's crazy and all that kind of stuff. I want you to understand that brain health is no different than body health. The brain is still another organ in the body. So we shouldn't feel uh, any, some type of way, that's what everybody says every day. You shouldn't feel some type of way if you or a family member is struggling with brain issues. Notice I'm calling it brain issues on purpose so that you don't, when you hear the word mental health issues, mm -hmm. mental illness, we don't think of it as something that has a negative stigma on our family. Mm -hmm. No, the brain is an organ that needs to function properly just like the heart and the lungs and the liver and when it doesn't, then you see this strange behavior because chemical, you can have chemical imbalance and one of those strength, one of those abnormal behaviors uh, that we see is depression. That's why I said it's not just a feeling. Depression is not just a feeling of sadness. It can be the result of chemical imbalance in the brain. Aren't you glad you came to church today? <laughs> Sometimes there are life events such as illness may be linked to depression. Uh, I know that when I am feeling bad physically, I can start to feel bad emotionally. Any witnesses in the room? <laughs> How many times have you told people, not today, I'm not feeling good? You know, you was joking and playing and everything yesterday, not today. <laughs> accustomed to having physical challenges, they don't understand that. I want you to really get that. They don't understand that when you are feeling bad physically, it does affect you emotionally. You're not just being moody. <laughs> I hope I'm helping you today. <laughs> and then there are hormonal deficiencies that have been rooted to, uh, noted to influence mood and overall functioning. Uh, my wife is better explaining this than I am about the hormones that are in our bodies that are that can definitely affect us, our physical bodies and our emotional well-being. Uh, the different foods that we eat that affect our hormones <laughs> because of some of the stuff that's in the food. Uh, suddenly you're, you're jittery, you're anxious, uh, or you smooth swings, all that can be connected to Harmonically, what's happening with us. All right. You'll see this verse of scripture on there. I love this scripture. I'm going to get to the answer to all of this because I can't bring all this up without 
now taking us to the word of the Lord. <laughs> Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3. Uh, anybody, just read it out loud. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. On this last page that I have for you, I've, I've given you five keys to connect with people. And that is because you can see where the word of the Lord clearly says this was, and Jesus turned to this passage in his time, and he's, and when he quoted it and then closed the book, they realized that, that he was talking about himself. You know, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to, as anointed me. And normally when they had read that scripture, uh, it was just kind of religious thing to do to read that scripture. But then Jesus closed the passage and like, uh-oh, are you saying that the spirit of God is upon you? And so now that we are in Christ Jesus, he's letting us know that same anointing is upon us to do these things. But here's what's key for us. In our efforts to try to, to work with people who are going through loss in their lives, Carol and I have noticed that there's, that God showed us these five key things that we must be willing to do in order to really connect with people. The first one, the P is prepare or prayer. Be intentional about getting in the right frame of mind, getting your emotions and your will, everything in line with, with what God really wants you to say and to do. You, you don't just jump out there and start trying to minister to people and talk to people. Really prepare. Pray. God, how should I say this? When should I say this? <laughs> That's a big one, isn't it? When? When? <laughs> how? When? Where? All of those things are important. I can't. I, I can't talk about this in front of the whole family. The Holy Spirit will just say, "No, don't talk. Don't talk about this at their house. Take them out to lunch and talk about it." He'll, he'll give you such great instructions. So see why it's so important. Prepare. Pray. Then the next one is engage. Accept another person's invitation to connect with their story and journey and be willing to invite others into your journey, your journey, your story. In other words, be real, be transparent. Please be real with people. Um, but first of all, engage people. If they invite you into their story, you know, here's what I mean by that. Sometimes we'll ask the question, how are you doing? And we don't really want them to. I don't really want you to. <laughs> Please don't tell me no. Please, please. I don't really want to know. <laughs> Since we uh, started professionally life coaching four years ago, um, five years, wow, it really has five years. What has happened to us is that 
now that people have found out that there are some folks who are willing to listen, we are literally overwhelmed with the number of people that want to talk. And so what it has shown us is that for a long time, people have wanted to have somebody to talk to. Yes. And while I'm talking, just listen to me. Don't, don't give me no scripture. Don't tell me what to do. Don't order my life. Right now, just everybody say it. Listen. That's, that's all I want you to do. I don't want you to try to fix anything right now. Just let me get it all out. Because if you keep cutting me off and interrupting me, you're not letting me get it out. Now, all the stuff that needs to be fixed and needs to be repaired and how I'm not seeing it right and how I need to have faith, we're going to get to that. But please, just let me get it out. <laughs> Why am I sharing this? Because we're saying this, this is what you'll have to be willing to do with the people that you engage. And that's the rest of this process. A is for ask. Ask questions. Do not assume that you know what they're trying to say. It's huge. Don't assume. Don't assess or don't don't even act. Just just ask. Many, many times we, and that's what we've learned, not just in our coaching years, but we go way back. We work with teenagers and young adults. We've done marriage coaching and we perform many, many weddings and we perform many, many counseling sessions with the same people that we married. <laughs> and this is a huge one where you begin to make assumptions about the people in your life. You see their actions and you say things. Sometimes we even do it in our parenting sometimes. You, I know what you're thinking. <laughs> no, you don't. It's a different job. Well, I said the same thing when I was 16. You, know, you may have said the same thing, but I've got a different reason. My reason for saying it may not be the same. You may have been saying it because you were angry and rebellious. I may be saying it because I'm acting out because I'm hurt. So don't assume, ask. Isn't that wonderful? And then the next one, L is for listen. You can put a star beside that, circle that star, <laughs> underline. Exclamation point. Exclamation point. And when we say listen, that, that doesn't mean don't, in other words, don't just wait for an opportunity to speak. Many, many times we listen on that shallow level where I'm really, I'm just waiting for you to stop talking so I can tell you what I want. <laughs> no, listen really means, here's the best way from now on, think of listening this way. I'm listening for understanding, not listening so I can say something. Listen for understanding. And if I don't understand something that they say, and if I don't agree with something that they say, then go back to three. Ask. That's where you ask things like, can you say that again? Uh, am I? Uh, what, do I what, understand you to do say? Do I understand to say? Or would you repeat that? <laughs> did, did, you know, do you really mean that? And many times you hear them say, no, 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 that's, that's not what I'm trying to say. But if we run off of the way they said it the first time, then you end up with this big fight and argument, and that's not even what they were trying to say in the first place. And it could have been solved if we, well, Carol and I refer to it as, ask the second question. Sometimes we'll ask, they'll give an answer, and then we'll react. Right. But if ask 
answer, ask again. <laughs> I guarantee you, nine times out of ten, you'll get a, uh, no, that's not exactly what I'm trying to say. They may say it completely different, and then if you find out that that is what they were trying to say, and that is exactly what they meant, then because you did number one, I prayed, <laughs> and I prepared, then I'm able to, and that last one, R, I'm able to respond and not just simply react. Even if they think, I, okay, I got what you said. I clearly understand. But because we were prepared for that conversation, now I can respond in the spirit. I can do, remember I used to wear those braces and say, I would, I, what would Jesus do? Now I can respond like Jesus. <laughs> because it keeps us from taking personally everything that people say. Now going back to the grieving process because somebody could be speaking totally out of the unhealthy place in their grieving process. Mm -hmm. They don't mean it against you and I at all. They're still angry with God or the old boss or the, or the person that they were divorced from. I mean, I one time I had a parent while we was, while I were, we were, Carol and I were youth pastors. I had a parent, a woman, I was on the phone talking to her about her son and I don't know what I said, but she went, it triggered she triggered her and she literally cussed me out. Wow. You know, church. <laughs> <laughs> and so I did the pull the phone away and, my ex, and I said, excuse me? And then she said, oh, I'm oh. sorry, Pastor Chris. I'm talking to my husband. I'm not talking to you. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to my husband. Oh. <laughs> Which is not a good one. Like, you talk to your husband like that? But I couldn't go there. Cause right, right. <laughs> but the issue was, whatever I said put her in the mind of him, and she let me have it. And I ain't. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes people are doing that. They're responding out of a place that's got nothing to do with us. And now you can see why we're taking the time to talk about responding to grief. There's a lot of people in the house of God who are still in grief. And we'll go back to that passage of scripture. Notice that it says on there, not reactive, number five, swift to hear, slow to speak. Uh, so seek for it, give wisdom when you do respond to people, not just your opinion. Very important. I want some, just a few things I want to share with you before moving on. You know, religion really sees only the flaws and failures in people. Yeah. Very important. Uh, but God sees broken hearts and homes. Uh, the longer we've lived in Harrisburg, the more we've come to realize that this community really needs a genuine baptism in the love of God. And God wants it to come through us, all of us in this room, even those who might be watching online. Uh, while many pastors and churches may perceive the love, they kind of, when, when pastors like me and Carol come along and we're talking about love and inner healing and all of this, a lot of them, this is kind of cold language that means you're giving people a license to sin. I don't know if you've ever heard that. You're just giving people excuses, let them live any kind of way they want, and that's not what we're talking about. Um, but have you ever noticed that in Isaiah 61, the anointing of God is also released to console those who grieve in Zion? Mm -hmm. 
as our sister just read you saw, I had it highlighted there for you. Those who grieve in Zion. I don't know if you've ever noticed those words in that passage of scripture. Those who grieve in Zion, which means there are some people in the family of God who are in grief. Not past tense. Those who grieve presently in Zion. There are thousands of believers, I believe, sitting in church pews, still grieving over the devastating things that have happened in their lives. Uh, professional counselors teach that grief has many stages, and we've looked at those stages today. So the true church has a mandate to do just what it says in Isaiah 61, to console those who are still grieving in Zion. Now here's another way for me to say that to you. Um, the church has a mandate to console those who are still in shock in Zion. Think about the stages, and I'll replace that word grief with all of the stages. There are people who are still in shock in Zion. They're still in denial in Zion. They're still bargaining in Zion. They're still in depression, sadness in Zion. They're still in anger in Zion. They're going to church. They're all over this city right now. There are people sitting in pews, and this is where they are. And God, the, the, by the Holy Spirit, is seeking those by which he can move through and bring the consolation that they need. That's why when we started off, I said, people, they're, they're leaving. The, the statistics are showing it. A hundred million are meeting in their homes because they're still in grief and they're looking for the, the consoling work of the Holy Spirit so I can get healed on the inside. And they're leaving by the millions every year. They're not leaving God. Let me, be, let me be careful to say that. They're leaving an institutional setting. They may be leaving an organization. They may be leaving a group. And you can talk to most of them. They'll tell you, I ain't leaving God. I'm just trying to find some place where I can get healed. Where I can get out of this cycle of grief. Where can I go to find that? And so out of their shock and denial and bargaining and depression and anger, some have turned back to alcohol. Let's be real, haven't they? Some of them are our family members and our friends. They've gone back to alcohol. They've gone back to drugs and sleeping around and, and eating disorders or, or even some have even gone to other religions. Got a lot of our young next generation, they're moving to Islam and, and, um, and New Age trying out yoga, shamanism, they're just going back to uh, original African Egyptology because what they were, the healing they thought they were gonna get amongst us, they came in and we entertained and we shouted and jumped and bucked and then you know, we didn't like the way they were dressed and we fussed at them and, and so isn't this an awesome moment? Just look across the room and look, I'm sharing something with you now. You got brothers and sisters in the room said we was the ones that were looking for healing. And now right now look up to the Lord and say, Lord, thank you for the healing. Lord, thank you for the healing. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. The other side of this is that um, those who left for those things, they paid dearly for those decisions. A lot of people that have walked out of the the 
faith family settings and move back into old way of living. Some of that, that might even, some of you, it might even be part of your testimony. Like, I don't, only thing I did was made life worse. Got out there on the devil's territory and he wrecked havoc on me. And so you find yourself coming back uh, or, or wandering from church to church, looking for understanding and forgiveness and healing. Uh, yet the Lord is directing us to see them through the eyes of Jesus and not focus on what they've done. And that's the key for us today. We're not focusing on what people have done. Just understand they've been on a desperate search trying to break the cycle of grief. And included in the list of things that the church is called to do, we're also called to console those who grieve in Zion. So right now the Lord is using this time to heal the shattered little boys and girls inside of each and one of each and every one of us. That's really how, how we see it. Like the inside of each and every one of us, there's a little boy or a little girl, or a teenage boy, or a teenage girl, or a young adult boy or girl, uh, man, uh, man or woman who's still longing for the love and the affirmation. Uh, but right now in this moment, just joining with me, the Lord is lifting up bowed down heads. He's lifting up the bowed down heads that shame it once convinced you that you would never be good enough to be forgiven. There was a time when shame convinced you that uh, you would never be blessed or you'd never be useful in the hands of God. But right now, just silence that thought and the enemy sending that to you. We cancel the assignment of shame in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Grief is just the process that we go through when there's been a loss. That's all it is. It's a process. But you can get stuck in that process. But God intended, didn't intend for us to just be stagnant or end up in an endless cycle. Since we've been walking with the Lord, in our marriage, Carol and I, we, we've been through the, the losses of homes, foreclosures uh, there was this one year that we we lost our home and then two of our close friends died and then while we were still trying to recover from that uh, uh, you just get hit by one disappointment after another anybody know what I'm talking about yes. and so you find yourself trying to trying to come through one cycle of, of the grieving process and then something else hits you and then you right back start all over again um, and we're not talk, talking to you guys about this to try to draw attention to us what we're trying to say is that this is what people are going through all around us neighbors co-workers friends church members and we're not going to, we're going to seek God for Lord, give us wisdom and keep us much more mindful of that. You know, sometimes when you speak to somebody and they don't speak back, just Holy Spirit, check me to not get offended so quick. And just, they might really be, you know, sometimes people aren't going through something right now, but like I said, it's just the residual effects of grief. Yeah. Um, 
There have been, how many of you have experienced this? When it comes back to around the time of year that that person died. <laughs> and people are looking at you going, well, what's wrong with you? It's like, stop. And for us to be mindful, don't, don't jump on the judgment so quick. There might not be anything that they're going through right now, but it could just be the time of year that reminds them this was the time that mom died. This was the time that dad died. Yeah. So that we can be much more sensitive in the, in the, presence, of, in the, in the presence of people and as God is leading us. So let's look at that prophetic promise one more time, Isaiah 61. Is it on there already? Okay. He says, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who grieve in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. By a simple definition, uh, the outward expression of grief is mourning. Notice that he said he's giving comfort for the mourning. Comfort means to ease the pain. That's what comfort is. There's comfort for mourning, but then he says, but there's consoling for the grief. Why is there, what, what's the difference between the two? Comfort is my mic, which we did experience with the losses that we had. So while she's crying or I was crying, we would comfort each other. But the process of grief takes a consolation beyond what human beings can do. As human beings, what we can do is hold each other, talk to each other, have dinner, you know, the repast that takes place after the, after the service, phone calls, that's comfort. But consolation is something that only God can do. Because here's what consolation means. Comfort means to ease the pain. Consolation is about removing the sense of loss. That's what it means, consolation. To remove the sense of loss. I mean, if you know, only God can do that. Right. To remove the sting of the loss, the ache of the loss. Can't nobody do that but God. And now you can see why so many people stay in the grieving cycle, because that's something that only God can do. But he has anointed us to be able to bring that consolation into the lives of others, to go, <laughs> I'm almost going to say like the Star Trek phrase, to go where no man can go. <laughs> Lord, y'all can tell that I watch Star Trek, right? <laughs> but here's that promise. When you look at the rest of Isaiah 61 in verse 4, it says this. Watch this. It says, and they shall rebuild the old ruins. They shall raise the former desolations. I won't go into the meanings of all of those. I'll do that at another time. And they shall repair the ruined cities the desolations of many generations. In other words, some great things are going to happen. They will rebuild, they will restore, they're going to renew. But who is the they that he's referring to? Go to the next one. This is who he's talking about. When we read Isaiah 61, the first three verses, he's talking about the ones who were poor, the ones who were brokenhearted, 
the ones who were captives, the ones who were bound, and all who mourn. When that work comes into their life, the anointing of God, the power of God, then they will be the same ones, go to the next one. Then all of the poor, the broken out of the captain, they're going to be the ones to rebuild the old ruins. When he talks about the old ruins, I'll tell you this much. He's talking about uh, that sense of that we have in our lives. When you when you were born, most of us, we came into a family that was already jacked up. Amen. <laughs> sure enough. Old ruins. Yes. And even though we were born into it, he says, after this consoling, consoling healing comes into our lives, we'll be able to, be able to rebuild the old ruins in our families. Even though I was born into it, God will be able to use me to rebuild. Isn't that awesome to know? Amen. He used up to restore the former desolations. This word former talk meant the, the phrasing was meaning early desolation. Some of us, there were some devastating things that happened to us when we were young. Yes. We were really little. Yeah. And God's going to raise us up. The word raise up, we should raise it as a minister to that this one's revealed is to restore us from the former desolation. Yeah. And us as well as the people around. There's a lot of people that have been carrying secrets, deep hurt, grief. Just think about all of the kids who have been dealt with molestation or abandonment. Uh, we found ourselves coaching our, uh, several people this past year who grew up in foster care. And that sense of nobody wants me. That's called former desolations, early desolation in your life. And God will use you and I as we engage, as we pray, engage, ask, listen, and then respond. And he'll give us what needs to be said and what needs to be done in this person's life and this season in their life. You may not see the final results. You know what a lot of times what happens with us? It's just like the word of the Lord says, one plants, another waters, God gives the increase. So you might be the one that's just first person to ever plant the seed it's going to be okay that might be the only thing that the Lord lets you even tell them but I want to tell them that God loves them and he died on the cross for their sins he may just simply just tell them it's going to be okay and then he'll send somebody else along to say God loves you then somebody else may come along and say, don't you want to give your heart to Jesus? And then, yes, I do. And you're like, but all I got to say was, it's going to be okay. <laughs> but that may be all that that broken, wounded heart can take. Do you know how meaningful it is today to have somebody a stranger, a co-worker, a, a friend, a family member to just turn and say, it's going to be all right. While they're having their fit and fussing, you just pat them, it's going to be okay. Why maybe in times past they pushed you off? Because if you said, 
You just need to give it over to Jesus. We can do that right now. But the Holy Spirit just said, just tell him it's going to be okay. But that's all right. I'm, I already got somebody else lined up that's going to tell him that I love him. But if you do your part, it's going to open up their heart to take the next part. And also, don't be ashamed. If, okay, if you're the one that's supposed to say God loves Lord, I don't want to tell this person that you love them. I don't know how they're going to respond. Anybody ever had that? Boy, keep pressing on you. Say, tell them I love them. Tell them I love them. Okay, well, I just kind of feel like the Lord wants me to tell you that he loves you. And then they look at you and tears start streaming. Uh, you don't know, I've been running from God for years. And, and now you're the fifth person that come up and told me that God loves me. <laughs> I'm telling you what I know, God. I'm not making this up. That's how it is. But he just wants us to be willing to let him use us that way. Look at somebody across the room and just say, I'm you.